Welcome to another episode of Bereans Podcast. Each week we share a message from the Bible and examine it to understand and learn to apply it to our lives. The hope is that through the wisdom of the scriptures, we will all be encouraged to make real life change and that the power of the gospel will transform our lives. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode of the Berean Podcast that starts right now. By the way, when uh, they were doing some of those VBS songs, I saw a few of you moving. You're not too bad. you still got your Baptist card, but you're not too bad. Uh, my name is Pastor Dusty. I am the family and next-gen pastor here at Berean. And uh, wow, over 500 kids at VBS, just unbelievable. And Tanner and her team have spent countless hours leading up to it and during it. Can we just give them a round of applause? Just unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, um, so I'm the family and next-gen pastor, and a lot of people ask me when they hear that title, they're like, okay, family and next-gen, is, like, is that like a real pastor? Like, um, you know, what do you do? And and so I usually have to explain it. So uh, the family portion of the title means that uh, I get to spearhead our ministry for parents and uh, families, especially when it comes to uh, equipping and helping parents understand that they are the main faith influencer in their home. And so uh, that's kind of the family section. But then the next gen section of my title, which is really what we're going to be talking about today uh, just really honestly means that I get to lead a team of staff like Tanner and her BK staff and our youth staff and our volunteers. I get to lead that team uh, that thinks about the faith and futures of our church family from birth all the way to young adults. And as we talk about this, uh, you know, this series is called A Few of My Favorite Things. And uh, when I heard that, I started uh, writing a, a message on barbecue and Chiefs uh, football, Kansas City Chiefs. But they told me that was a little off the mark. So, um, and that wasn't very funny because nobody laughed. Uh, <laughs> moving on. So, so today I get to talk to something about something that outside of my family is probably one of the most important things to me, and that is next-gen ministry. Um, what does it mean to have a next-gen ministry? And even important, uh, more important than that, what does it take to reach the next generation? Today we're going to be looking at a psalm, Psalm chapter 78. If you have your Bible, you might want to start looking at it. But, uh, or pulling it out and getting it ready. But Psalm chapter 78. Now, um, to kind of set this up, Psalm 78 is uh, the second longest psalm in the Bible. It's just behind Psalm 119, which is just crazy long. And then you got Psalm 78. And 
Psalm 78 is uh, what we would call a historical psalm. It talks a lot about the history of Israel and them turning to God and turning away from God and turning to God and turning away from God. And it's a psalm written by a guy named Asaph. Now, Asaph is a Levite worship uh, leader. That is, he's part of uh, King David's court. And not only is he a, a Levite worship leader, but we will see later that he is an unbelievable example of reaching the next generation. And so as we start this, you might see this in your Bible, but at the top it says, a maskil of Asaph. Now, a maskil, what that means, you might be saying, what is that word? That, mean, that means that this is a passage uh, that, uh, by Asaph that is supposed to be instructive. That it's supposed to be something that teaches us. So not only is it historical, where we look at Israel, but we're supposed to learn from what they have gone through. We're supposed to put into practice the words that Asaph has here. So if you're able, I'd love for you to stand as we read our passage today. Psalm chapter 78, starting with verse number 1. It says this, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. Now listen to this, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we talk about next generation ministry and what it means to reach the next generation, help us to, this morning, latch on to the mandate that you have for us. The mandate to reach the next generation. God, we love you and we pray this in your name. Amen. You can be seated. So um, the other day I was on YouTube uh, checking out some videos and uh, somehow went down this wormhole where I watched videos on how to make the best paper airplanes. It was riveting stuff. Um, But I was sitting there watching it and everybody had a different way to fold a paper airplane. Some were like, you got to do it this and it'll fly the farthest. You do it this way. It'll be the fastest. You do it this way. It'll look the best. And I'm watching all of these, uh, these different videos and I'm trying to figure out how to fold this paper airplane. And what I realized was there's a lot of people with a lot of hot air. Because I tried my best to, to make the best paper airplane and it came out like this. I mean, it was sorry. And then I was like, well, maybe they know what they're talking about. Let me see if I can do it here. And I tried to throw it and it went kind of like that. And I was like, oh, how many of you have ever folded a paper airplane or know how to fold a paper airplane? Okay. A lot of you. All right. Let me ask you this question now. How many of you 
remember exactly who taught you how to fold a paper airplane. I see maybe six hands. Why is it that we all kind of know how to do it, but we don't remember who taught us how? You see, when it comes to next generation ministry, the goal is to make sure that our students, our kids are molded in the ways of God, that they're formed in a biblical foundation, a biblical worldview, but we need to start asking the question maybe, start need, need to start asking the question, well, who is teaching our students how to shape their lives? Is it me? Is it the church? Is it their parents? Is it YouTube? Is it TV? Is it, what, what is it? Yeah, it could be TV. You're right. Probably is TV. But I mean, seriously, you think about it, and I haven't heard it too many times in our church, but I have heard it, where I hear parents say, well, you know, I'm so busy, and I got so much going on, that's what, you know, that's why we bring them to church, you know, can you help them, that's your job is to, to feed them the faith, that's, that's your job, you know, that's, isn't that what pastors do, that's why they're paid so well, you know, um, Or I hear grandparents or older people say, you know, I had my time with my kids and it was awesome. I've been through that, but I'm, you know, I'm tired. And, you know, that's really what the, the younger people are there to do is to reach the next generation. And you know what? I'll pray for them, but, you know, that's, you know, I'm past that. Really? Is that the mandate God's calling us to? is to look at the formation of our kids' faith life, of their worldview, and say, well, they're going to get it somewhere. You know, if we don't teach them a worldview, somebody else will, and I guarantee you that. So as we look at this, I want us to look at how we intentionally teach our students to form a biblical worldview in a time where there really isn't much guidance. And we see that in this passage from Asaph, which in a little while, you're going to see how Asaph is such a great example for us when it comes to next generation ministry. Uh, but we'll get to that. But I, I think in this, he, we see some things that are very important. The first thing that we see is in verse number one, we see that reaching the next generation demands urgency in the message. Listen to verse number one. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth, exclamation point. It's an exclamation. Why? Because the message of the Lord is vital. It's vital now more than ever. It's vital for our next generation. And you say, you know what? I I understand that. I, I believe the gospel is important, but you just don't understand the kids today and the teenagers and the young people today. They're so busy. They have all these distractions. They don't want to hear about God. Wrong. Wrong. I believe that the younger generation today is probably one of the most curious generations we've ever had. In fact, I would say that Gen Z and Gen Alpha, which really make up 
what we call next generation ministry, I would say they are the most unafraid to ask questions. You know how I know? Because that generation, that younger generation, they have never lived without a search bar. They have a question, they put it in, they get an answer. Might not be the right answer, but they get an answer, don't they? And not only that, they put it in, they get an answer. They also probably get some ideas of other questions to ask, and it fixes their spelling as well. You know what they don't get when they put in their question? They don't get statements like, that's a dumb question. They don't get statements like, you're not old enough to understand that yet. They don't get a response like, you know what, when you get older, you'll understand. When you're an adult, you'll understand. But right now, you just, you can't understand. Nope, they get an answer. And if they're getting an answer from somewhere, we better make sure that it's a correct answer. You see, the next generation's growing up, I believe, in a time of a political unrest that's polarizing, all kinds of headlines, religious instability, racial, racial tensions, and most importantly, they're, they're living in a time of relative truth where what I believe is true is okay, and what you believe is true is okay, and what they believe is true is okay. As long as you believe it, that's fine. And I think it's time for us to be a, confidence, a confident church that understands the urgency of the gospel for the next generation. A confident church that helps provide a solid foundation for a bunch of students that are getting hit with waves of confusion. A confident church that honestly isn't scared of words like deconstruction or doubt or non-binary thinking. We're not scared of them, not because we think that we should flatly refute them and get in their face and prove that we're somehow intellectually superior. No. It's because we want to understand and empathize with them and show them the love of God and show them that that while they are questioning, they can have a loving true respite from the confusion that can only come from the Word of God. Because if we're honest, we as, we as adults have questions too. That's why we're all in this together. And we wonder why isolation and, and um, things like loneliness are so prevalent. Well, if I'm saying you do you, and I'll do me, and you do you, and we'll be happy, what I'm saying is... You stay on your island, I'll stay on my island, you stay on your island, and we have nothing concrete to keep us attached. But that's not what students want. Why do you think they're grasping for affinity groups? Why do you think they're grasping for um, tribes that they can be a part of that are like them? Because they want something foundational that they can hold on to and we have the answer and it's an answer that will last for eternity 
But not only is this message urgent, but we also see here in verse 4 that reaching the next generation starts in the home. Verse 4 says, We will not hide from their children, but tell to the uh, coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. Right before it said that our fathers have told us. You see, God has created a natural, a natural discipleship group, and it's called the family. You've heard this passage before, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 through 7. We, we say it a lot, but it says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. It's about teaching all the time. By not just telling, but being an example as the primary faith influencer in your child's life. Now, I know parenting is hard. I have three daughters, two in college, one out of college, and I survive. But I know parenting is hard. Some days it's just a success to get them fed and get to soccer practice. (laughs) Is that what we're called to? This might hurt, but are we a cafeteria and a taxi? When my daughter was young, she had all these toys and she had all these uh, um, stuffed animals lined up and she would play tea with, you know, have tea with them and do all this other stuff and whatever, my middle daughter. And, and I remember they were all kind of, you know, they're just cute little toys except for one. And one was just absolutely horrid and it was called a Furby. <laughs> now, I don't know if you've had uh, interactions with this little demon thing, but what this thing this thing is like a little ball of fur with these big buggy eyes and then it talks to you. And like she could sit there and talk to it and it would talk back and, and it's just like, ah, dog toy, let's kick that out of here. I remember one night I came home from being in youth group. Uh, it was a Wednesday, I think, and I had worked all day and we had youth group and I was totally wiped out, tired. And my wife was gone. She had taken our girls to like a, a Girl Scout thing or, or gym, who knows what it was. And they were gone and I was by myself. So I come home and I throw my backpack down. And I go upstairs. I take a shower. I get in bed. I lay my head down. And I'm like, ah, oh, finally. And my eyes start getting heavy. As I lay there for maybe a minute or two, and then all of a sudden I hear, Wanna play? (laughs) You have never seen a grown man jump out of bed as fast as I... I mean, normally I get out of bed and I'm like, oh, my back. I was out. And I grab my phone and I get the flashlight. I'm like, what is that? What is that? And I hear, you wanna play? And I'm like, I don't wanna play. And then I did probably the worst thing I should have, and I looked under the bed, and five inches from my face is this little beady-eyed furball that's like, I slept on the couch that night. Sometimes we get a wake-up call. How many times do we, as parents, feel like, you know what? Things aren't bad. I'm just tired. You know what? It's okay. And then our our kids get to be teenagers when they start developing a new way of thinking. 
And we get a wake-up call when they come home and they say, you know what? I know we've, I've heard about you know, God and, and, and Jesus. I just, I'm not sure I believe that. But they come home and say, you remember when we went to church that one time and they said something about the Bible being true? How do we know that? Like, I don't, that, that just doesn't make sense to me. And we have this wake-up call that sits us up and it's like, what? Not because they're doubting, not because they're questioning, because I believe those are healthy things. Those are actually spiritual growth marks of a student making their faith their own. That's awesome. The wake-up call is when we realize that we have a lack of memories to point them to in order to help them out in the situation. Memories like, hey, well, you know what? Now that you mention that, remember... Last year when I took you to school and on the way to school we were talking about that Bible verse and I was telling you how to trust in God. Do you remember last month when we were worshiping together as a family and service and Pastor Devin's talking about wisdom and how we need to trust God's plan even when we don't understand? Remember that? Yeah, we don't have some of those memories. We get a wake-up call. And the homes, your homes might be both parents, it might be one parent, it might be grandparents, it might be adoptive parents, it might be foster parents. It doesn't matter. We're all called to the same thing, and that is to be a faith, the main faith influencer in our kids' lives. You might say, so that sounds easy, but I need some help. Like, or you might say, well, what about a home that, that the, the kids live in that their parents don't believe in? In God, like, how do they, how are they? I'm glad you asked. Because in verse 5, I think Asaph really is, is showing us that reaching the next generation is about authentic intergenerational ministry. Listen to this. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. Got to remember, he's a worship leader. He's talking to a group of people. He's not just talking to his family. He's saying, we're in this together. One thing I love about Berean is that we have so many generations that worship here. We have so many people that come to Berean uh, that are all different ages from different generations. I love it. I can be down in the youth and they call me old and I can be up with the seniors and they call me young. And I'm with the seniors a lot because of that. But I love it. And I hear a lot of people say, yeah, it's awesome. We have such a great multi-generational church. And I believe it. I, I'm right with you. I love that. We, we do. We have a great multi-generational church. But is that enough? Is it enough for the generations to come to the same building and go to their thing? Maybe it's time we say, it's, maybe it's time we start saying, we need to stop settling for multi-generational church and we start striving for an intergenerational church. You see, it's coming together as generations, worshiping together, mentoring Age-specific has its place, but maybe as a parent, this is going to be crazy, Maybe as a parent, you say, you know what? As a family, we're coming to church two hours. 
And we're going to worship as a family together one hour. And then the next hour, we're going to go to our own age-specific things to learn within uh, the people of our age. Maybe it's coming together and saying, you know what, I have something to offer even if I didn't know I did, and I need to step up my mentoring. I need to step up my ministry to the age group that I didn't even know liked me. You see, it's a partnership between the home and the church that gives each child, each teen, each college student the best opportunity to grow a self-sufficient faith. And Asaph's just given it to us here. What I love is, is we kind of finalize this with verses 6 and 7. He says that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments. What we see here is that reaching the next generation is about the long game that is rooted in a genuine hope in a loving God. You see, Asaph's not just talking about the generation here. If we just talk about the students that are in our church right now, the kids all the way up, and we say that's the ones we're talking about, we're missing something. We're talking about the generation after them, and the generation after them, and the generation after them. That is next-gen ministry. And that's what Asaph got so well. Look at this. Asaph, who was he? Well, he was the lead worship. Uh, he would lead worship under King David. And then after that, Solomon places him uh, over the dedication of the temple. But then listen to what happens. You see, in the Bible, there's this, this uh, phrase called the sons of Asaph. Now, uh, scholars will kind of argue what that means. Some will say, well, that's the, the descendants of Asaph. Those are his actual relatives. Some will say, no, he set up a school for ministry and worship, and those are his students. I say it doesn't matter because what we're seeing is that he is uh, setting up this legacy within them. It doesn't matter which one it is. But this is what's awesome. So he he works under um, Solomon, as after he's placed un, over the dedication of the temple, but get this: a hundred years later, in Second Chronicles twenty, we see that King Jehoshaphat is asking for protection from armies, and he's given a word from a guy named Jehaziel, and it says Jehaziel is one of the sons of Asaph. But then, a hundred and forty years after that. In 2 Chronicles 29, King Hezekiah has Levites cleanse and consecrate the temple for worship. And who does he put in charge? The descendants of Asaph. Eighty years after that, in 2 Chronicles 35, we see that the book of the law was lost and the book of the law was found. And so then King Josiah wanted to celebrate Passover again. So who does he put in charge of the worship? The sons of Asaph. And then this one blew my mind. 400 years after that, approximately. In Nehemiah 11, when the Israelites returned to Jerusalem from captivity in Babylon, Ezra records and numbers the exiles, and he included 148 singers that were named the sons of Asaph. And as they laid the foundation for the temple, who do you think led the worship? 
the sons of Asaph. Almost 750 years of legacy that has been passed on from generation to generation to generation from one man that heard the call and said, I'm going to do it. So what's our charge? What makes the next a great next generation ministry? Is it the decorations, the music, the fun games, pizza? Pizza should be a part of it, but... Um, All those are great tools that lead to the purpose. That lead to giving kids the gospel in order for their lives to be formed into a biblical worldview that will make them succeed. It's saying, I'm not going to wait for the next person to do the job. I'm not going to wait for them to just get answers from a search bar. I'm going to give them the answers. Because it's an urgent, urgent message. You know, I was watching that video. I was looking at those videos. I did see one video that really caught my attention. And the title was, How to Make Any Paper Airplane Fly Straight. And I was like, yep, that's what I need. So I clicked on it and the guy said, all you need is one thing to help with that. Some of you might know already, but he pulled out a paper clip. <laughs> and he said, all you got to do is use a paper clip because you would be surprised at the influence the paper clip has on the trajectory of your airplane. You put it on the front, it will fly straighter. If you put it on the right wing, it will make it go right. If you put it on the left wing, left. If you put it on the back, it does these loop-de-loops. He's like, it's awesome. You know, maybe it's not just enough for us to give them the answers. Maybe we need to start being an influencer as well. Maybe that's what Asaph did. It's an urgent message that's backed by an intergenerational church that loves the next generation. If you were to ask me, how would you define how would you define a successful next generation ministry, I would just say this. It's the gospel being displayed as so contagious by an older generation through relationships that the next generation can't help but pass it on to the one after them and the one after them and the one after them. That's us. It's time for us to stand in and help form the lives of the next generation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will help us to to take heed to your mandate, to your call. God, we love being a multi-generational church, and we believe that's an awesome thing you've called us to. Not a lot of churches can be that, but now I pray that you'll help us take the next step of being intergenerational. God, I pray for the older person that feels like they're out of touch but has so much wisdom to give. God, I pray for the younger person that needs that connection. God, I pray that you will help us come together so that we won't just touch the young people, but the ones after that and the ones after that and the ones after that. We praise you and pray this in your name. Amen. And that does it for this episode of the Berean Podcast. All of our ministries at Berean are geared towards the mission of seeing lives transformed by the power of the gospel. If you would like to be connected with our church family or give to the mission of Berean, 
just jump online to our website at BereanMN.com. Thanks for listening today, and we pray that you are encouraged by today's episode. Be sure to like us on social media, and we'll see you here next time on the Berean Podcast.